Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito This is the Falcoholic Podcast, the official podcast of the Atlanta Falcons on the SB Nation Podcast Network. This is Dave Walker, and on today's special podcast, we continue reviewing the Dimitrov years with the Atlanta Falcons. To help me with this task, I've invited a special guest to join me in each of these episodes as we break down the trades, free agent signings, and draft picks made in this era. My guest today is Alan Sterk, one of our former writers at the site and known for his excellent GIF reviews of Falcons games on Twitter. Alan, thanks for joining me again. Oh, it's a pleasure, especially looking back on this time with the Falcons, especially Mike Smith. This was his second year. I know this was like the one letdown year, but you know, I have loved that era from like 2008 to 2012, maybe because I was still in high school, but it was <laughs> kind of – it was just kind of like – I still had like that real childhood fandom in me, and I just remember like this team was so old school minded. And even though things didn't go their way, it was just like, these were like kind of prime years of Mike Smith. Yeah, and and on that note, I think you know obviously 2008. Uh, we'll talk about this just a second. Was such a great season, um, and I think people forget 2009 was the first time the Falcons had back to back winning seasons ever in franchise history. So they, even though they missed the playoffs and it was a letdown of a season they still accomplished something that had never been done for the franchise. And I think they uh, started a, a new trend for Falcons football under Mike Smith, as you mentioned. Um, so on that note, coming into this season, before we get into the details of the 2019 season, uh, I think it's you know, important to recap sort of what got us here. Obviously, the Falcons found a great one in Matt Ryan. He was Rookie of the Year in 2008, uh, took the team to the playoffs, uh, which I don't think anyone was expecting uh, from this team. And to be honest, at the time, it was not normal, even though it seems like the norm now, it was not normal for rookie cut quarterbacks to come in and start and begin winning immediately. That was not the norm. And it was, you know, obviously Ryan reignited the hopes of the franchise. Dimitrov brought in Michael Turner uh, in 2008, and he was just a, a wrecking ball and just a fantastic free agent signing. Roddy White elevated his game, you know, to being, you know, showing that he is a legit wide receiver one in the league. And so there's a lot of hope for this franchise after 2008, uh, especially in the wake of the 2007 disaster. And they kicked off, if you will, the 2009 offseason with a big trade. And April 23rd, 2009, the Falcons traded for Tony Gonzalez, tight end from Kansas City. He had spent most of his career there. He was really on the back end of his career as, you know, one, the only tight end in NFL history at that point to make 10 Pro Bowls, uh, which is a stunning number. Um, and the Falcons gave up a 2010 second-round pick. So, Allen, you know, sort of 
just the way to kick off and add yet another weapon for Ryan. A lot of people called Tony Gonzalez the security blanket for Matt Ryan in his early years. What are your thoughts on this trade, the value of the trade? Do you feel like this was something that Dimitrov nailed as well in this 2009 season? Oh, it was a massive trade because I always thought Tony Gonzalez was like the epitome of excellence. Like, you remember in the mid 2000s, like it was like him and Antonio Gates every week, they'd be like competing to see who would make the uh, biggest plays, most circus catches. And I just think Tony Gonzalez, he always provided, yeah, not just a security blanket, but someone that's down the seam. And I think the Falcons kind of need someone that could stretch the field, given that Michael Jenkins was kind of a possession receiver and, you know, Harry Douglas was still kind of a raw prospect at the time. Obviously, everyone knows how good Body White was, but. I just think adding that certified star just gave Matt Ryan not just more security, but just more confidence. Because as you saw in that season, like they were, they clicked right away. And I think with their work ethics, because as you know, Tony Gonzalez, this guy, you look at his uh, training regimen, like he's pretty well documented how much this guy was like four practice, half practice, hundred balls each way. Oh yeah, he was just a monster. And just to get someone, especially on a team that was still kind of shifting away from the mid-2000s. Like, I know it was a huge rebuilding project, but I didn't think they had many veterans on the team, especially once they got rid of Keith Brooking and, you know, just everyone from, like, you know, what, what past years with Warwick Dunn, Algie Crumper, et cetera. I think Laura Malloy was also good. So other than, say, like, John Abram, I think they could use more veteran presence. I think that should be emphasized. So get someone like Tony Gonzalez, who I think was very motivated, given that Kansas City was kind of in a free fall at the time. And the pairing with a young quarterback, I think, Getting him was huge, and obviously, what was it, five seasons overall, he played at a high level. Yeah, yeah, uh, from 2009 through 2013, and uh, arguably, I, I think he was he was in the back end of his career, clearly, but he still was just such a dynamic player throughout his entire time in Atlanta. Uh, and to your point, I think it's a fantastic point. The Falcons did get rid of a lot of their veteran leadership. Uh, and we'll get into the free agent discussion a little bit. You mentioned Keith Brooking. He was someone that was allowed to walk. Um, likewise, you know, the, the, across the board, they sort of uh, let a lot of guys on the fringe of the roster just drift off and as they you know, seek, uh, sought to rebuild this roster. Um, so bringing in a veteran like Gonzalez, and not just a veteran, but a high-performing veteran, a legitimate Hall of Fame talent. I mean, like I said, uh, selected to 10 Pro Bowls uh, before he even got to Atlanta, which is, I, I, again, I, I think about that, and you hear about some of these players, that they make four or five throughout their career. This guy made 10. That's how good he was. Uh, and further to the point with Matt Ryan, and I want to say this because I feel like this is a point that's understated when it comes to what, Thomas Dimitrov and Mike Smith did in the early years with the, with uh, their franchise quarterback, they built weapons around him and they did not immediately put the entire offense on his shoulders. They brought in Michael Turner, who, you know, it was a run first offense when, when Mike, uh, uh, when Matt Ryan was drafted, they had Roddy white, they had a good offensive line. They had Todd McClure at center, you know, a stable veteran center that helped to, you know, to run the offensive line. And then bringing in Tony Gonzalez was in many ways a, a great next step. They brought in someone that could take Ryan under his wings, someone that Ryan could lean on, uh, especially in those key third down conversions. You know, Tony became just an absolute beast in keeping the sticks moving for this team. 
Uh, I, I think if you look back on a lot of the moves that Dimitrov has made over the years, would you say, I, I don't know, maybe I'm going too far with this. I think this is one of the five best moves that Dimitrov made in his entire time as GM. It has to be. Just when you look at longevity, you look at some of the biggest plays Gonzalez made over the course of his time in Atlanta, especially that Seattle playoff game, which ended up being the only win during the playoff win during the Mike Smith era. I just think year in and year out, he delivered. And what was crazy with Gonzalez is I think he actually played better in, say, from 11 to 13. I thought his first two scenes were good. Maybe it was just because they were under Mike Malarkey's offense where it was very run-heavy, very old-school. But I think maybe once Julio got here, like, ah, Gonzalez just started becoming way more productive. And he was, like, really killing in the red zone. Like, that was one thing yeah. I remember. Like, some of the best years, because you know with the Falcons, the red zone's a very tricky area these days. But uh, <laughs> with, with when Gonzalez was there, like, who could forget that one-handed catch against the Eagles on Sunday night? That was still one of the craziest plays i ever seen. And I just think that rapport was so key. Like, you look at Ryan, like, always they seem to be on point. It was very rare to see them on, you know, on the same page or, you know, there, it got to the point where teams like who could forget when Belichick literally had two guys just jam Gonzalez at the line scrimmage and you're not getting put, you're not yeah. giving him the ball because it's like, <laughs> he's a threat and he's uncoverable. Like, and the guy in what, his mid to late thirties was considered uncoverable. Like when Belichick's yeah. putting the coverage towards you, like he's like, okay, we'll allow Roddy White to beat us, but you're not throwing the Gonzalez. I think that's just a testament to how special Gonzalez was. Yeah. And, and small anecdote. I remember Matt Ryan talking about, uh, a conversation he had early in his career with Tony Gonzalez and uh, Tony came to the science lines. He's like, why didn't you throw it to me? And, and Ryan, you know, shot back. He's like, you weren't open. He says, I was open. He's like, no, the guy was on. He's like, no, I was open. He said, you throw it to me and I'll get that ball. And we yeah. saw that. I mean, that, you know, you mentioned sort of that, the, the, the childish, uh, uh, you know, enthusiasm for this team. I think Gonzalez brought that out, you know, just watching him make these contested catches every single game. Uh, he was just, he was, they don't build them like him anymore. And uh, he was so much fun to watch. See, fantastic trade. I feel like, you know, for a second round pick for a player that you end up having for five years that played at that level, uh, you don't get that kind of value from a second round pick normally. And, and great job from Dimitrov on that one. Um, free agents. Uh, so before we go into the draft, I want to talk about some of the free agents. I want to talk first about the name you just brought up, Alan, and it's uh, a player that they actually let walk. It was, you know, you brought it up uh, distinctly, and it was Keith Brooking. I think many Falcons fans remember him biting on the play action in the playoffs against the Cardinals and just dropping, you know, biting on the play action and, and uh, allowing the pass to go over his head. I think many fans didn't forgive him for that. <laughs> Brooking was a fantastic player in his time with the Falcons. Um, you know, had, went to multiple Pro Bowls, you know, really quality guy in the middle of the defense. But they let him walk. And uh, do you feel like, because the Falcons have had some issues at linebacker over the years, um, Looking back now, you know, in that purge of the, the veterans, as you mentioned, do you feel like that was the right move? Do you feel like letting Keith uh, hit free agency, not trying to keep around one of the veteran guys, do you feel like it was the right move or do you feel like maybe they should have kept him around for the leadership? Well, it was him and Michael Bowley. 
which was interesting at the time. Because right, Bully kind yeah. of was fading away. I don't know the co- new coach he said, because Bully was like one of the three good things about 2007 season. Like he was actually a legitimate playmaker. Then I don't know what happened. He started losing snaps because you know, obviously Chris Lofton got drafted and then Steven Nicholas, they're bringing along slowly. Uh, I think what Brooklyn played one or two more years and he didn't really do anything memorable. So I can understand why they did it. Uh, I th- think he should get more recognition for what he did in Atlanta rather than that one play. Yeah, it was heartbreaking because that 2018 was so special but, mm-hmm. uh I, yeah i didn't think it was that controversial move because similar to laura malloy he was kind of declining and it was just like comes a point where you have to make the decision let's try to bring a new talent because i think they were really excited about nicholas and you know curtis lofton was obviously the main middle linebacker so that yeah. shouldn't have been wasn't a big deal yeah and, and to that point i mean they did draft curtis lofton the year before uh it was clear that he was going to be you know the future starter in the middle um and they did bring in uh, Mike Peterson, who they signed for two years, $6 million, you know, veteran player. Um, what, what do you think about the Mike Peterson signing? Because I know he wasn't the dynamic player. Um, but two years, $6 million, it feels like, okay, you, you let Brooking walk, let him get uh, big money elsewhere. Uh, and you bring in someone like Mike Peterson, who is, you know, really in some ways is, is there to help mentor maybe Lofton and, and just fill in the gaps. Because he was actually there for four years, they, they resigned him because yeah, obviously coming from Jacksonville, um, Mike Smith worked with him in the past, and I just thought he was just such a steady leader. Uh, that was always his reputation, but he was just a physical presence. Like he even took like a special teams role because he was just someone that wanted mm-hmm. to contribute. He was just someone that never had a big ego. He always worked hard. He's just someone that not just that locker room presence, but someone that was adaptable enough. It's just, he was kind of more on those old school linebackers. He's not someone that was great in coverage. He was just more of those, you know, play the run, you get physical at the line scrimmage. But uh, I don't think anyone could really complain about Mike Pierce. I think he gave him a real solid four years. And, you know, when say Sean Weatherspoon went down, he came in and contributed really well. So uh, I thought it was a good signing. And it was cool to see Mike Smith kind of, bring in some of his – because people forget, like, how good those Jaguar defenses in the mid-2000s were. Yeah. People are, like, thinking, oh, let's get John Anderson and Marcus Shroud. I'm like, oh, that might be a little too difficult. But, hey, Mike Peterson, just bring in some solidity at linebacker. Why not? Yeah, and especially with Curtis Lofton, um, you know, taking over essentially the middle of the defense. Um, you mentioned Steven Nicholas, who I think was actually, in many ways, maybe an underrated player in his time with the Falcons. Uh, you know, pretty good uh, additional linebacker, I think, on the left side. Uh, they also, uh, in free agency, they signed Brett Romberg, uh, two years, 1.6 million. So, mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to talk much. I don't want to talk about Brett Romberg. Uh, <laughs> I barely they, remember who that is. I know. I, I, I mean, you know, he was behind Tom McClure. He does not yeah, matter. Um, the, the interesting set of names is some of the guys that they retained. Uh, the big one was defensive end Chauncey Davis. <laughs> and they, at the time, gave him a four-year deal worth $14 million, which – uh, you know, I mean, it, it wasn't for a pass rusher, and, and Chauncey certainly wasn't a pass rusher. Um, but it seemed like he was the kind of player that barely uh, – I don't know. It, it, it seemed like a rich deal for a player of his caliber. What do you think about Chauncey? He's not someone I think people get really passionate or really angry about. I just remember in 2008, he kind of came up with some big plays. I don't know if it was against the Vikings where they clinched playoffs, but I remember he had like maybe four sacks and a couple of fumble recoveries. Like 2008, oh, yeah. made some decent plays, which is why I think they gave them. And he was someone that was very good against the run. Maybe he kind of used him to 
take away all the pressure from Abraham because obviously Abraham was never that good against the run. And a guy like Abraham, you want him to be ready to be on, you know, ready to go on passing down. So as like a like just as a run defender and someone you could just use in that rotation, even though Mike Smith kind of never really believed in rotations. Like it's kind of a crazy contrast from Mike Smith to Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn's all Truly. about rotations, and Mike Smith, you know, he'll play Corey Beerman forty five snaps, no problem. But. Uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, no, I, I didn't think it was a big deal at the time. I think it's just more of they need to repeat. So I, if anything, they were frustrated because Jamal Anderson could be a colossal bust. So maybe they're just like, okay, less Anderson on the field. We got. I think they actually tried moving more towards the interior because I remember Anderson started playing a lot more inside in Test Nine. So yeah, uh, maybe Chauncey Davis that was a reason why they wanted to keep him. Yeah, excellent point. Um, they also brought back uh, linebacker Coy Wire, uh, two years, really minimal deal. I actually liked Coy Wire. I thought he, he was really good on special teams. Um, obviously, was not a big factor in actually playing at linebacker, his listed position. But he was regularly a guy that you counted on on special teams. And if you remember, like, at least three, four years, maybe, like, the Falcons were the least penalized team. But I always hear, like, how good they were on special teams. Like, that was one of the best things with joining those Mike Smith years is just – consistency in those two areas. Like you knew they weren't going to get flagged too much and there were rarely any specialty miscues. And, you know, with prime Eric Weems, you get a couple big plays here and there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and the last name, there were some other guys, but I'm going to cut off the list after this guy. Tight end Justin Peel. Uh, they brought him back three years, 5.25 million. Uh, I, you know, again, not a flashy player, but he, he sort of fits that, you know, tight end to uh, more of an inline blocker, uh, someone that Ryan would occasionally throw the ball to. So, you know, uh, not a really active free agency period for the Falcons. And honestly, I think that at that time, the expectation for the Falcons was that they were going to uh, do more building through the draft instead of signing an endless number of free agents. And Dimitrov even said at the time, uh, or in later years, that their their goal was to sign one big free agent you know, other sort of, you know, mid-range or, or you know, lower-range uh, free agents as far as money's concerned, and then focus on the draft, build through the draft. Um, and this trend seemed to continue. Obviously, 2008, it was Michael Turner. Uh, 2009, uh, I, I guess the trade for Tony Gonzalez would be considered the big move. Um, obviously, Mike Peterson was a, a good, solid move in, the, in that mid-range. Um, what's your overall feel for, before we get into the draft, uh, what's your overall feel for what they did uh, with these players, you know, with uh, obviously the deal we talked about earlier with uh, Tony Gonzalez. Do you feel like these moves were solid, uh, especially in hindsight? We obviously can see this in hindsight now, but were they sensible moves? Obviously they didn't overspend. Do you feel like there was anything more that they should have done, should have addressed in hindsight? I just want to make a couple of notes. Justin Peel was actually the first player uh, that Matt Ryan threw a touchdown to in the playoffs. Oh, <laughs> which is a weird stuff. That's just new because, as you know, we did the whole series this summer, and that was like one of the crazy stats I found. I was like, yeah, Matt Ryan, that play action two yard to just appeal against the Cardinals. And That's the other thing, yeah, the other thing I want to mention is we even talk about. I loved him growing up. Marty Booker was on the team. Oh How are we not going to mention Marty Booker? And he didn't do anything <laughs> there, but hey, I just remember Marty Booker just being one of those weird bear receivers that was just hoping the ball was accurately thrown to him, given Chicago's illustrious history quarterback. Oh my God. I love it. Um, So obviously uh, the Falcons, I think there was a lot of optimism coming in and then the 2009 
uh, draft happened and uh, there's certainly a lot to talk about there. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. And we're back on the Falcoholic Podcast. This is Dave Walker. I am joined by Alan Sturk. And we are talking about the Falcons' 2009 season under Thomas Dimitrov, the moves he made in free agency with trades and in the draft, which we're going to talk about now because obviously the 2008 draft class, bar none, was a, a huge success. And I say that because you can miss on half your picks in the draft class. If you find a franchise quarterback, you have nailed that draft <laughs> Uh, period, especially quarterback now who is still 12 years into his career and still playing uh, at a good level. So that is very, very rare to find in the NFL. 2008 draft class, huge win for the Falcons, huge win for new GM Thomas Dimitrov. Let's talk about the 2009 draft. Um, First round pick. Let's start at the very top. This is a name that I think many Falcons fans will remember for better or for worse. Uh, With the 24th pick in the 2009 NFL draft, the Atlanta Falcons selected Pride Jerry, defensive tackle out of Mississippi. Alan, what were your thoughts at the time about Pride Jerry uh, before we sort of look at it from a hindsight perspective? His tape looked very exciting. And I know it's easy to say that given that a lot of these first round picks have exciting taste, but just he looked very ferocious given that this team needed some interior presence because they were kind of light up front from what I remember in 2008. So just to get somewhat of an imposing presence, even though I know he wasn't the most consistent player in college, but I just remember seeing the tape and just seeing like, Oh wow, he actually moves pretty well for a guy of his size. And I think that just the need, which is something that, given that the team didn't really have a whole lot of needs. But you know, if you remember that season, like they were a little bit, which became a theme in the Mike's were there, but they were pretty much bent on break. And yeah. I think that defense definitely needed like somewhat of a big presence up front because, you know, Jonathan Babineau was starting to come into his own and everyone knows how great John Abraham is. But other than that, that defensive line was kind of light. So bringing someone in like Pierre Jerry, I think was a sensible move to at least, you know, try to elevate them up front. Yeah. And, and I think, at the time, uh, and we've obviously hindsight is always twenty twenty. Um, at the time, a lot of people were excited about his potential, as you mentioned, next to Babineau. Um, obviously, the injuries are going to become a part of this story, and we'll talk about that in a second. I want to talk about some of the players that were drafted around him uh, so that you can get an idea of what that draft class looked like in the first round. Obviously, number one pick in 2009 was Matthew Stafford um, with Lions. Uh, Alex Mack was in the same draft class. He was drafted at number 21, of course, by Cleveland, uh, three picks before the Falcons. Um, number 26, so two picks behind the Falcons, is the pick I think that always gets brought up whenever we talk about Pariah Jerry. We talk about the 2009 draft class. Green Bay selected Clay Matthews at number 26, who obviously would go on and have a, a very good career as a, a pass rusher in, in Green Bay. 
Maybe not fair because I, I think at the time Matthews was more of a three, four rush linebacker uh, and not really in the mold of what the Falcons were running defensively. And as you mentioned, they did have John Abraham who was still playing at a very high level mm-hmm. and they, it seemed like they needed more help on the defensive line. In hindsight, though, that obviously, you know, everyone is a great GM in hindsight. You know, we could say, oh, I I would have taken Clay Matthews. I still feel like Pariah Jerry at the time was the right move for the Falcons, uh, given what they knew at the time. I'm looking at some of these names. I remember Louis Delmas, who went to Detroit at 33. He was getting a lot of attention. But you have to look at Vontae Davis. I think that could be viewed as a miss because Vontae Davis ended up having a really good career. I know he's most known for retiring during a game, which is still one of the funniest things ever. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, they definitely, I think, corn, they were kind of light at. So you you can make an argument for Vontae Davis. But I think you make a great point about Clay Matthews because, you know, back then, 3-4-4-3, these were very prominent formation. Now, obviously now 3-4 is kind of non-existent given that teams run nickel 60-65% of the time. But right. back in 2009, like it was a big deal. So that's why I could see why Clay Matthews wouldn't have been the most ideal fit given what the Falcons are building up front. But, you know, you look at Vontae Davis, yeah, they could have went that route or uh, try to see here. Maybe... Like, I, don't know, I don't think they would have gone receiver because obviously people are looking at you know, Hakeem Nix that ended up having a pretty good career. But if I think you could have a criticism, it would probably be just Fonte Davis because, you know, as it went on to be proven in 2009, I thought the secondary was probably one of the biggest reasons why they had a bit of a down year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, Progeri long-term did not work out. And it was, I would say, primarily because of the major knee injury he suffered in his rookie year. And – I don't know that we ever got clarity from the coaches at the time about what type of knee injury he suffered. All we know is it ended his season. Um, Even when he came back in 2010, he just did not look the same. Uh, And he he just looked like a a completely devastated player where he, he came in with a ton of potential and something happened to him physically that just set him back. Uh, and I think in 2010, he ultimately lost his starting position to Corey Peters, who was a good player. Um, right. But Corey Peters, I think, was a third rounder. And uh, Priya just never recovered. And I think a lot of people will point to Jerry and, and say, yeah, in hindsight, he was, he was a bust. You know, a first round, fourth, first round pick that just ultimately did not work out. Do you think that's fair? I mean, again, because I, I feel like we're doing this in hindsight – we can see the injury history of these guys looking back. Um, but would you agree that prior Jerry, one of the biggest busts under, uh, under uh, Thomas Dimitrov? It has to be, especially given that he played a lot of snaps, even like, from the 2013 season when mm-hmm. everything fell apart. I just remember him being on the field a lot. And he just, he was always a, just a liability. Never really added much from a pass rushing sense. Wasn't that good against the run. It was just very underwhelming. Like, I can't think of many, memorable moments and usually even the worst first round picks you can think of some positive moments i.e sam baker uh <laughs> lee sam baker had some positive moments like pierre jerry was just another guy and when you invest a first round pick on just another guy you know, even with the injury circumstances it's just he's a lot to be desired and it was a, there was a time where this team never was really that deep at defensive line they depended on him and he just never delivered yeah it, it's sad because of <laughs> You know, again, I think people are going to go back and like, oh, we could have had Clay Matthews. I don't feel like that's a fair argument, but I do think it's fair to say the player didn't work out. And mm-hmm. fair or not, it, it does reflect on the GM uh, for that pick. Uh, so 
unfortunate. Uh, I like you had a lot of, uh, I was excited about him as a pick and then that clearly didn't work out. Let's move to the second round because now we've got a little bit better news, at least I think overall. Um, and with the 55th pick in the second round, the Atlanta Falcons took William Moore safety out of Missouri. You guys probably know him better as Willie Moe. And he had, in my mind, a pretty good career. Maybe not uh, as good as fans may have wanted because – you know, some of his early years looked fantastic. And I think the injury bug also started catching up with him, but uh, he's a guy that, and he didn't even come in and start immediately. Um, Oh, who was the safety that played in front of him for uh, a while there? Uh, Eric Coleman. Yes. Thank you. Um, And so he, he actually had to sit behind him for a good bit of the 2009 season. He did, he did see some snaps, but I think more contributed more uh, as a player in 2010 than going forward. What are your thoughts on Willie Moe uh, with that second round pick? And one of my all time favorites. I just think mm-hmm. Willie Moore is the epitome of like, that enforcer. Like when you look, when you think of the word enforcer, I think of William Moore and he just set the tone, especially that 2010 season where he had like five interceptions, a couple of course fumbles. Like I thought he was one of the catalysts of why that Falcons defense was relatively pretty solid in 2010. Yep. And then uh, 2011, I think him and Van Gorder just didn't see eye to eye. It was kind of a weird thing. But once, you know, people want to make fun of Mike Nolan, but I thought Mike Nolan really used William Moore in a much more creative, much more aggressive way. And that's how William Moore had that huge breakout year in 2012. And that's yep. why he got rightfully paid. I just think William Moore, when, you know, on the field, just always set the tone. Like he's just someone who you, you want that tone setter. And that's something that, which is something you always hear now about Keanu. William Moore, just, you just feel that energy when he plays. And especially someone against the run where if you want to bring him in the box, you need someone to like set that edge, he makes plays. And you know, never always the most reliable on coverage, but he was very instinctive. Like there were years where he had four or five interceptions. And it seemed like when you look at the statistics, like when it comes to safeties, like he would be among the league leaders in turnovers. And for now it seems like for years the Falcons like they've been begging for turnovers. Meanwhile in the early, you know, 2010, 2012, they're forcing turnovers every weekend. It seemed like William Moore was always there for for them to, you know, create those turnovers. So I have nothing good. I have nothing but good things to say about William Moore. I know he kind of faded and injuries kind of ruined his you know, ending of his tenure with the Falcons, but I think this was a huge home run of a pick, and he's someone that I think everyone should have fond memories of. Yeah, and especially for getting someone that contributed like that out of the second round. You know, that it's again when you talk about value for picks, you get a you know multi-year starter. Uh, you mentioned 2012. He had four interceptions, two forced fumbles, and he made his first Pro Bowl. Um, in that 2012 season, like you said, a big breakout season for him. Um, and actually, if I remember right, he was his junior season. A lot of people projected him to be a first round pick. Um, and then when he, he stayed for his senior season and did not have nearly as good of a season as a senior. And that actually knocked him out of the first round. And, and a lot of people thought that the Falcons may have gotten a really, you know, a, a big value pick in, in a guy who the year before would have, arguably gone in the first round. Uh, and he certainly lived up to it. I cannot remember to this day who the player was because I'm not sure he's still alive, but I will never forget William Moore um, uh, 
suplexing or what's that wrestling move? You know, Spinebuster. Spinebuster. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's straight. It was some third time. I don't know if it was Michael Hamanui or just someone with a really long name on the Rams, Sam Bradford and Sam Bradford fashion through a check down. <laughs> and the guy tried to leap over William Moore and he paid the consequences. Like William Moore had some hits. Oh, oh he did. Yeah. He was just terrifying at times. And he was kind of built like a linebacker. Like it would have been I would have loved to see him William Moore in like this day and age. Right? You see these hybrid safeties. Like I would love yep. to see like I'm not trying to compare him to Jamal Adams. That's a bit egregious, but like I would like to see him in kind of like a more of a career role because the Falcons kinda had some shoddy defensive coordinators. I Ryan Rancourt as lackluster as it gets, but you know, I was I always enjoyed William Moore. It would have been cool to see him maybe play more with Dan Quinn, but you know, given the injury struggles, like 2014-15, he yeah. you know, has to be mentioned. Like he lucky to play three games consecutively yeah. four games. It was, it was unfortunate, but that's kind of like those two years. It's like, ah, I can't really use him anymore. And it's kind of unfortunate he never really went elsewhere because it's just you know, injuries kind of derailed his career. Yeah, it is. Um, but while he was here and while he was healthy, God, he was such a fun player to watch. You know, as you mentioned, just a, one of those guys that, uh, it seemed like every game he got one of those hits in. Uh, so a lot of fun. Um, all right, let's go to the third round for 2009. Uh, with the 90th pick in the third round, the Falcons took Chris Owens, cornerback out of San Jose State. Oh, man, Alan. I think if there's one play um, or one game that Chris Owens is going to be remembered for, it's going to be that 2010 playoff game against Green Bay. He was burned alive by Aaron Rodgers. I think Aaron Rodgers just picked on him all game long. And Owens actually stayed with the team for uh, several years. You know, it's not like he you know, flamed out. He was here in the 2012 season. Um, again, I, I think, you know, Mike Nolan in that 2012 season actually ran a fairly decent defense, uh, and Owens was a part of that. Um, and the, he was a third-round player. I think one of the things that stands out, though, about him is that, you know, while he was drafted in the third round, um, Brett Grimes was uh, – wasn't he, he was an undrafted free agent, if I remember right. He was. And uh, he was having a hard time even getting in front of Owens to get playing time uh, because he was an undrafted free agent and clearly was a better corner. Um, so what are your thoughts on the, the Chris Owens pick as we're looking back on that one? I'm not going to say Chris Owens was a good player because as – was proven he wasn't but I think it was the circumstances kind of went against him he was never someone that could be a slot corner because he was like this tall uh, lanky guy like I don't think he could ever like shift because Brent Grimes really came on like the end of that 2009 season I think he had like four interceptions in like, mm-hmm. five games and like he pretty much solidified a starting spot then they spent all the money on Dante Robson which you know I know it's a touchy subject <laughs> but you know with, with, with that contract it's like okay these are two stars and it's like okay if Chris Owens can play a slot he's gonna get kind of phased out and that's what pretty much happened I thought there were times he came in 2011 2012 like he filled in especially when Brent Grimes got derailed by injuries like I remember Brent Grimes had missed some games like he came in he was always a good competitor it's just I think Chris Owens him not being able to play in a slot kind of limited him and he never could really be like a reliable contributor because as you remember like Robert McClain then came on because you know you knew Samuel especially when I saw the Samuel came but you knew Robinson was going to start then you knew Samuel was going to start and Grimes came on just there was a lot of corners coming in left and right and they all kind of played better than Owens but I never thought he was that bad it's just the circumstances didn't end up right for him yeah and if I'm looking at the 
the third round and some of the picks that went around him. Honestly, the 2009 draft class was somewhat uh, sparse with successful players once you got out of the first couple rounds, which I know is is the norm anyways, but like this was particularly bad. Um, guys, See, Chase Kaufman. Yeah. Good old oh, Chase Chase Kaufman. There's a there's a name drop. Holy cow. Um, the irony is, and we'll get to this in a little bit, the 2009 seventh round was actually a really good round for players. Uh, and we'll touch on that in just a little bit for the Falcons. Um, but as I look around some of the guys that came after him, you know, uh, there's Keenan Lewis who played with Pittsburgh for you know a while. Rashad Johnson, Arizona, both were defensive backs maybe would have been slightly better picks. They were, you know, several picks behind Chris Owens. Mm-hmm. But again, I think this is one of those things where you get into the mid rounds and it gets hard to really predict who's going to be a great player. I think for what he was, it wasn't a massive miss. And again, the quality of that in that third round was just sort of blah. And, you know, it, it, but Chris Owens was part of sort of that subpar, not necessarily terrible, but not good. Like they were just right. mediocre. There's a mediocre set of corners with the Falcons. Right. And I think the issue was, especially for 2009, like, I think if you want to look at back at free agency, equally, just they never really got a corner because I thought losing Dominique Foxworth was a bigger loss than I think people anticipated. Right. Foxworth was really good in 2008 and they never really addressed corner. I, maybe they thought Owens would slide in and be a starter, but that, to be like their biggest Achilles heel that year. And I don't know, I just think if that was a year Owens was going to emerge, it should have been his rookie year. But I know it's a lot of pressure for a third round rookie, but yep, absolutely. I think that was that was his best opportunity because then I think once 2010 came, you just saw year after year Dimitrov was bringing another corner here and there. Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, like a factory. <laughs> um, all right. Fourth round. This is going to be fun. Uh, I know you're going to recognize this name. Um, with the 125th pick in the fourth round, the Falcons took. Lawrence Sidbury, defensive end out of Richmond. Um, oh my God! I don't think a player on the bench had was talked about more in those four years than Lawrence Sidbury. The guy was buried, buried on the bench. Uh, I think players started calling it the player protection program, similar to the witness protection program, where this guy apparently had incredible athleticism. Uh, high motor. He was fast. A lot of people thought that, you know, he was properly coached that he could turn into a, you know, potential starter and, you know, really just a, a, a project player, but with a ton of upside and he did absolutely nothing. <laughs> um, what were your thoughts at the time with this pick? I think a lot of fans were excited about the potential, but obviously it didn't pan out in the long term. You just someone that oh, really flashed when you watched his highlight reel. I was like, oh wow, okay, this guy has some serious speed because I think we just wanted to see more athletes on defense. Given that things were, I don't know, it just seemed like that defensive line was kind of slow outside yeah. of Abraham. There wasn't much explosiveness off the edge, and it was like, okay, can't really, you can't totally be dependent on Abraham, even though they end up being completely dependent on Abraham. It was just like, okay, try to give him another piece. You know, even though Corey Beerman was a decent contributor, you're like, all right, maybe Sid Barry could be someone like a situational edge rusher, but it never really panned out. I will give him credit to him. 2011, he actually had four sacks. It was probably the quietest four sacks, but he, <laughs> he did have more sacks than the notorious Ray Edwards that year. Ray Edwards only three and a half. <laughs> so Sid Barry got him there, and it, it's weird because that 2011 year was just so mad. Like, I call it the most mad playoff team ever because it's like, all right, they won 10 games, but I 
can't really recall a single like impressive win against a noteworthy opponent. But look, I think Sid Barry, he made his contributions there, but I don't know, for whatever reasons, he just never, whether it's just he was never disciplined or he just someone that couldn't be trusted against the run, Mike Smith just never really utilized him, and he got phased out rather quickly. Yeah, it, it was – and I know a lot of fans were super frustrated that he wasn't getting any opportunities, especially, like you said, when he came in and he did have those sacks um, uh, in that 2011 season. But he, he took the first train out of town. And, I mean, ultimately, I mean, he didn't contribute much anywhere else. So, I guess that says what we need to know about that player. Again, when I looked through the draft class, you go through that fourth round, and it w- it's, you know, it's a barren wasteland of – uh, you know, players that were actually big uh, long-time contributors. I think the only real notable name that, you know, went after him in that round was Austin Colley, wide receiver with Indianapolis. He loved him, but he had that serious neck injury. Didn't he take a huge hit and his career was kind of over afterwards? Yep, I think that's yeah. the guy. Um, so, again, another, another rough sort of uh, empty round for players. Uh, let's move on to the fifth round because Falcons actually had two players. They had the 138th pick. They took William Middleton, uh, defensive back out of Furman. And then with the 156th pick, we're going to have the most fun with this one. Garrett Reynolds, offensive Oof. lineman out of North Carolina. <laughs> I knew you were going to have a reaction to that one. Um, Middleton, I, you know, he, he actually, he didn't do much with the Falcons, but he moved on, I think to the Jaguars and, uh, did a little bit there, but he was such a like a forgettable player. It's, he's one of those guys that if you say, "Hey, you remember Willie Milton?" and most Falcons fans would be like, "Who?" Uh, but I, I want to go to Garrett Reynolds because this guy was, ooh, he was he he. I think the 2013 season got him the most flack from Falcons fans and. I think it's important to remember this guy was a fifth round pick, but what were your thoughts on these two guys uh, in that fifth round? Middleton, I don't really recall because I don't remember seeing any significant steps. I know he kind of got brought back for the practice squad, but you know, he was just kind of like one of those training camp bodies. People were just waiting for him to emerge and it just really panned out. Yeah. But as for Garrett Rounds, I just remember him. I think he was like six, seven. So everyone anticipated him being a tackle and which was kind of weird. I know they just want to add some, you know, depth at the time, but given how good Tyson Claypool was, it was like, uh, I don't know where Browns is really going to fit or where is he going to compete? Maybe it'd be like a swing tackle. But then they really tried putting my right guard and just it never worked. Like he no. just consistently got manned out. And the worst part of it was that they tried in, I want to say 2011, because remember they re-signed Harvey Dahl in 2010. So they wanted to yep. at least push Reynolds. Didn't work in 2011. For whatever reason, they tried again in 2012. Didn't pan out. They ended up putting Peter Kahn's there. And for some reason, Peter Kahn's was a major upgrade, which just speaks lines of how bad Garrett Rounds was. But the weirdest thing is they gave him another chance in 2013. And it's just like three years of them going to season with him as a right guard. And they've replaced him every time. And I just don't get that. I know right guard was a real problematic position for the team. Or I think majority of – once Harvey Dahl left, like it was just – so Chris Lindstrom came in, like it was a real problematic area. But I just never understood why they continuously gave him opportunities when it was like he's just way too tall for position. He was never really that good of a run blocker. And when he came to pass protection, you just seen guys get under him and he just got bulldozed out of the way. And 
I would have liked to see maybe him get an attempt to tackle, but it was just like there, the opportunity was never there because Clavo was there. So it was just you know, maybe kind of like Chris Rowans was kind of never got the opportunity he should have had. But, you know, when it came time to actually play real snaps, he was just not good at all. No, not in the least. <laughs> um, like what guy gets an opportunity three years in a row? Like he literally every season he entered the season as the right guard and was just like, they're really trying this again? Like why should we feel confident about this? And I think this was, to your point, and I think when people talk about Dimitrov and they talk about his early misses on the offensive line, Reynolds is one of the guys that they keep going back to. Um, and I, I, again, he was a fifth-round pick, so I don't know that you're looking for starters on the offensive line in the fifth round, at least not immediate starters. Um, but trying him over and over and over again seems like you know banging your head into the wall. Uh, they did have at the time, I think Holly uh, went in at guard before he obviously took over at center, you know, some years later, um, Mike Johnson, uh, if you remember that name, I think he uh, rotated in at right guard as well. Mm-hmm. I actually think he was better than Reynolds, but I think right. an injury set him aside in to- 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he, he was, he was a turnstile at that right guard position. He was just, he was too tall. Uh, you know, those, Especially at that time, the norm for those interior guards was you didn't want them to be over six four. You know, this guy was six seven, uh, and so he just had, you know, those defensive tackles were getting underneath him and just bullying him all game, all game long. Uh, just a frustrating player to watch. Yeah. All right, sixth round. Uh, probably won't have much to say about this guy. Uh, One hundred seventy six pick. Falcons took Spencer Atkins, linebacker out of Miami. I do remember thinking at the time. And I don't know if I'm alone in this. Um, I remember thinking, this is a guy that has some athletic traits that he maybe he could develop into a lot, you know, over long term into a, a decent player. I don't think that ever turned out. He he stayed pretty much what a, a special teamer and was almost non-existent on the team. Yeah, I don't really remember him contributing all that much. I know they kind of because. I think with those late round picks, Mike Smith always tried to get him special teams reps, just try to get him someone active. But I think Coy Wire was the main special teams ace. Atkins just never really developed into anything. Yeah. And it, looking at that sixth round, a couple of names stand out. Um, Matt Slauson, uh, guard, played with the New York Jets for uh, several years. Solid guard, yeah. Yep. And then Jason McCourty, uh, defensive back Ooh. with Tennessee. He went at 203. Um, so that there was a big opportunity there. McCordy was a very good player for several years. So, mm-hmm. um, all right, seventh round. Uh, this one makes me happy because he's from my alma mater. The 210th pick for the Falcons in the seventh round, Vance Walker, defensive tackle out of Georgia Tech. Um, this seventh round, I'm gonna I'm gonna point out some players here for you because this one's kind of crazy. Um, A.Q. Shipley, who I think, you know, he, he played at Pittsburgh Center for several years, was pretty pretty good. Clinton McDonald, defensive tackle uh, out of Cincinnati. He played for a few years. Um, Julian Edelman hey. went in the seventh round of this draft class. Um, There's that Belichick. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> out of Kent State. Um, but not, Vance Walker, um, I think – you could argue was one of the better picks of this draft class. Seventh rounder, you know, he was never a great player, but 
but he was solid. He was just a solid rotational defensive tackle. I think he went on, I want to say he went on to play in Kansas City, uh, a few other or Denver. Yeah, it, Oakland, I think. Um, he, he was on that Super Bowl team, actually. I think you're right. He got yeah. in a ring. And, uh, and uh, he earned the nickname uh, Swagger Vance while he, was, <laughs> while he was with Classic. the Falcons. Uh, and I think a lot of people argued, uh, you know, they let him walk uh, in free agency and they kept Priya Jerry around. It, at that time, it, Walker was clearly better than Jerry and it felt like they were keeping Jerry around because of the draft uh, capital. But what are your memories of Vance Walker and, and his, his time in Atlanta? Real solid contributor. He was someone, okay, never had played like a starter, but he was someone you could put in for 20, 25 snaps. And you knew you were getting, he was just someone that you could you supplant him in there, would say. I think, because I think Corey Peters was banged up at times in 2011, mm-hmm. 2012. So, you know, putting Vance Walker in there just to play the run, because there were some years they were really good against the run. I remember in 2011, they were like a top yep. five unit. So he was always a real solid contributor. I just think. Dimitrov and his bias towards high round picks kind of was the main reason why he wasn't brought back because he, he would, I think 2011, 2012, he was really coming on. Like he became a fan favorite because he was just someone that always saw him around the ball. He was always running plays. He would just be right there. You never really saw him getting bullied off the line scrimmage or never really had position. He was just a good quality rotational piece. And you got to value those guys, especially given that, you know, defensive tackle, it's such a position that one or two injuries and boom, you can be look very light there. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden you're scrambling for guys up the street and you're getting bulldozed every week. So that's Walker was someone that always held his own. So definitely appreciate that. I do want to mention the seventh round two names you mentioned. Like, I think Captain Munderland was solid, but man, we got to mention Pat McAfee, like the extraordinary now, <laughs> Pat McAfee, you know, especially <laughs> given that we're coming off Monday night where, you know, Johnny Hecker is arguably the MVP. We got to give some punters some love here. Oh, you're not kidding. Yep, Captain Munroe, absolutely seventh rounder in that same draft class. So there were there were some actually some good uh, quality players that had you know decent careers that came out of that um, out of that seventh round of. And it's so funny you you look at like the fourth, fifth, and sixth rounds, and it's like a barren wasteland. Mm-hmm. You get to the seventh round, you get Julian freaking Edelman, you get Captain Munroe, and uh, you know a handful of guys. And uh, I see Gronk's brother at two fifty five with Detroit. I had no idea. I had no idea Dan Gronkowski like. Oh yeah, look at that! Absolutely. Um, you went to Maryland. What a weird! I had no idea. Oh, and Ryan Suckup, uh, kicker uh, at the. He was Mister Irrelevant in that draft class. So how about that? Yeah. Um, he, <laughs> he might win a Super Bowl this year. Yeah, I know. He's got a good it, gig right now. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. That, that's where you should spend draft picks uh, when you're in the seventh round. Use it on kickers and punters. Um, always have some competition coming in. So as we look back, obviously, second year for uh, GM Thomas Dimitrov. And again, this, this is really talking about what he did as the general manager for the Falcons. Um, I, I feel like in total, the draft class made sense, even if not all the players worked out. Um, some of the, the players were good. You know, we, we hit on guys like William Moore. Uh, Vance Walker certainly is a quality late round pick. Um, but some big misses, some guys that felt like there were missed opportunities. And then the free agency. And I think the big thing for this year was the trade for Gonzalez, which was a, a fantastic move. Alan, if, when you look back on 2009, what, 
if you're going to give it a grade or just an overall assessment, how did Dimitrov do in this season uh, looking back? Maybe like a C plus would be fair because they did add some quality talent. I think the misses maybe not getting explosive receiver, even though they end up getting you know, one of the greats a couple of years later. But I think not getting another receiver kind of hurt them, even though Harry Douglas was coming on at the time, which is like maybe they could use another receiver, mm-hmm. like use another corner. Like those were two positions that they looked kind of light, especially when injuries started to pile up. So I think just not addressing that left a little bit of a sour note because you know, coming off 11-5 season, people expect the Falcons to you know, win a division, maybe win a playoff game. And I just remember like that stretch from like late November to like mid-December. Like There were some ugly games, especially that game against the Eagles. You know, that was like, Vic's return. They were down yeah. like 41-0. And you just saw, like I remember like, even Abraham was complaining, like, oh, secondary, they're not holding up in coverage. And guys like Chris Houston never really developed. You know, they tried to, I remember they desperately tried to get a Ty Hill, and he was kind of a letdown. Like, that secondary was bad that year. So I think not really getting a corner that could contribute right away and then maybe not having another explosive receiver kind of hindered them. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree. I think C plus, uh, maybe, maybe a B minus because the Tony Gonzalez trade was such a game changer for the team. Uh, and William Moore was a quality starter um, over those years. But anytime you miss on the first round pick, uh, regardless of, you know, the reason that is going to feel like a really lost year uh, because those first round picks, those are supposed to be the guys that turn into long-term starters and with, with Jerry, it, it really feels like one of the biggest misses during the, uh, the Mike Smith and Thomas Dimitrov era. Um, so with that, we have covered 2009. We'll continue this series next, obviously, with the 2010 season. Um, but, Alan, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you, what you've got going on? Uh, you can find me at Alan underscore Stirk. That's A-double-L-E-N underscore S-T-R-K. I'm right now working this new app. It's called Locker Room. I uh, just got passed through iTunes yesterday so they started up about September and we got the Warriors and Jeff Darlington some of the main investors there so I'm pretty much going to be doing like podcasts not daily but at least two or three times a week just doing live reactions previews uh, just trying to stay active with that and of course we'll be doing you know, film breakdowns on Twitter as well you know, couldn't do it this week because it's a short week but you know we'll be doing it every week awesome as for me, guys, you can find me on Twitter at FalcoholicDW. Updates on this podcast at FalcoholicPod. And, of course, our articles daily at TheFalcoholic.com. Alan, thank you again for joining me to recap the 2009 season. I've really enjoyed this. It was a blast, man. You know I love coming. Yep, we're going to get you back on here soon. Um, so for Alan Sturk, this is David Walker. Thank you guys for listening in. We'll talk with you next time.